Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, July 27th, 2018. Yeah, we're going to be continuing with our uh, Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermons as he's working his way through the epistle of Jude. Well worth the listen. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God? Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelicals, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and we are doing a warning work here. Now, uh, we're working our way uh, on our Friday episodes through the series of sermons delivered by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, Uh, as he's been working his way through the epistle of Jude. Uh, We have two more that we will be adding into the mix today. Uh, The first one is titled, The Character of a False Teacher, The Character of a False Teacher. And uh, after the break, when we come back, we will listen to the next in the series titled, The Apostolic Warning. So without any further ado, let's get back into it. Here is uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley of Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom, and his sermon titled, The Character of a False Teacher. Scripture reading this evening is once more the epistle of Jude, the epistle of Jude, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, that is to say, Jude's mother was Mary, the mother of our Lord. It seems that Jude was converted after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but he became a teacher of the word, and he writes exhorting believers to contend for the faith. So the epistle of Jude, 
Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that our Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, 
both now and forever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. We have come as we go through this epistle to verse 16. Jude is speaking about false teachers. He is exhorting his readers to contend earnestly for the faith against them. And false teachers have always been and always will be a problem as long as the church is in this present age. So the Apostle Peter can say in Second Peter chapter 2 that there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And it's notable that the word Lord here is despotess, sovereign. It's not the usual word for Lord in the Bible. So here are those who claim that Jesus Christ is their despotes, their sovereign, and yet they are denying him by their deeds. And this is what false teachers are. They claim to be Christians. They claim to be teaching in the name of Jesus Christ, but what they actually teach and what they actually do deny the Lord. And here in verse 16 we have a little picture A very carefully drawn picture of a false teacher, of these false teachers. We are told that they are grumblers and complainers. That they walk according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. First of all, he tells us these are grumblers. Grumblers, that's a very expressive word, just like the English Grumble, the Greek equivalent is somewhat onomatopoeic, that's to say it sounds a bit like the the action it's describing, this sort of quiet mumbling of discontent, grumblers, complainers. And the word really comes from the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament idea, and it's found particularly in the wilderness generation, the exodus generation, those who came out of Egypt. So, for example, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 24, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Greek translation is the same word that's used for grumble by Jude, they complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? There they were in the desert. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? They complained. And of course God, in his mercy, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So God, in his mercy, provides this cure for the bitter waters. 
But what do we then find in chapter 16? Reading from verse 2, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Which of course is utter nonsense. There in in Egypt they were complaining under the heavy oppression of the Egyptians. They were slaves. They weren't sitting by the pots of meat and eating bread to the full. But they grumbled and complained. And we find again and again and again that this appears. So the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 16, 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Israel, then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But who are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Now was the problem. They weren't really complaining against Moses. They were complaining against God. They were saying, in effect, that we don't think that God is able or willing to bring us through the wilderness, but that we are going to perish here. In their grumbling, in their complaining, they were saying that God had spoken falsely. Now, they, of course, didn't rationalise it like that. They rationalised it by saying, well, it's Moses who has spoken wrongly, but they were speaking against Moses, who was the very prophet of God, in whom God put his word. And we find in Numbers 14, Numbers 14, this is in the aftermath of the business of the, the twelve spies, God says, Numbers 14.26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. They grumble, they complained. The wilderness generation, these of course are the ones that Jude has spoken of in verse 5. The Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Grumbling is a sign of unbelief. And that unbelief brings down the judgment of God. That God does not hold guiltless those who grumble and complain against him who impugn his character his ability his his motives his might and so we see this 
great act of complaining is referred to again and again in the scriptures, referred to in Psalm 106. For example, Psalm 106, reading from verse 24, Then they despised the pleasant land, they did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not hear, did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. That that complaining brought down the judgment of God. That's why they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness until that whole generation who had come out of Egypt dropped dead perished in the wilderness and we find the people grumbled against the Lord Jesus the Pharisees in particular his enemies grumbled and complained because of the things that he said so for example Luke 5.30 and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners they complained about the Lord Jesus not following the way they wanted things to be, but doing that which he was called to do by the Father. So again we find in Luke 15 too, the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well he wouldn't be able to eat with anyone if he didn't eat with sinners. But the Pharisees, of course, imagined that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. And again and again, the people complained against the Lord Jesus. Now, it's notable, of course, that the complaining against Jesus, against God in the Bible is particularly focused in the Exodus. And we find this in the Gospel according to John, and John brings out many Exodus themes in his Gospel, showing the Lord Jesus Christ as the true Israel of God and as the true bread that came down out of heaven. So we find in John 6, where we have the, the great bread of life passage, where we have the Lord Jesus Christ setting himself forward in this way, he is complained against himself. So John 6.41, for example, then the, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur against yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. So again, he is seen as the one about whom the people complain and murmur. And people do. Again and again, false teachers are characterized by the fact that they will bring forth what God has said. And they will complain about it. They will say, well, you can't take that Bible text that says, if any man will come after me... Let him take up his cross, deny himself and follow me. You can't take that, they say, and say that people shouldn't love themselves. And they'll go on and say, well, if you say to people you can't love yourself, well, you bring 
people to depression, you bring them to poor self-image, etc., etc., etc. Or again, they say, you can't tell people that they're all sinners. Even though, of course, the Bible says these things. And I, again, I wish I was making these up. I'm, I have a specific group in mind that these are just sort of random well, things John, that false teachers say. Well, John chapter 3, verse number 26 says, For we are all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans. Yes. We have all, all, exactly, you see, the Bible teaches these things. But false teachers will take what the Bible says and they will speak against it. They grumble and complain about it. But the Bible is very clear as to the end of those who do such. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers passed under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And he goes on to, to lay out the pattern. This is what the experience of Israel was. And then he says, verse 6, Now all these things became our example to the intent that we should not, we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And you see the point, those who complained were destroyed by the destroyer. Instead, rather than complaining, we are to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to trust in him even in the midst of troubles and trials so that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 reading from verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling work out of course is not the same as work for work out is you are saved and now you do those things for which you were saved for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain holding fast the word of life Holding fast the scriptures, that is, so that we do not complain, we do not grumble against the word, but that we hold to it. False teachers then are grumblers. Secondly, they are motivated by selfish motives, walking according to their own lusts. The rule for them is not the rule of life that 
God has set forth, which is that we are to walk according to his word, to walk worthy of our high calling, but that the rule of life for them is that they walk according to their own lust, their own desires, that they seek to please themselves, to enrich themselves, to glorify themselves. But this, of course, is what the heathen does. The heathen walks according to the lusts of their own, of his own flesh. The Apostle Peter puts it like this as he writes to his, in his first epistle. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. He says, as obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So it is unbelievers who walk according to their own desires. But believers are to walk according to God's desires and his commandments. And this selfishness is shown with the fact that they mouth great swelling words. That is, they are boasters. They are people who glorify themselves, who speak only of themselves. One of the ways you can tell a false teacher is that all their positive examples in their teaching are about themselves. They're not going to bring anybody else forward they're not even going to bring the Lord Jesus Christ forward as the great positive example, they're going to present themselves as a positive example and so whatever teaching they're giving, they will show themselves as the one who has achieved it the one who has made it the one who is what they ought to be and boasting exalts self, but Christian teaching, on the other hand, exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You make yourself the measure of all things, then you will think that you are pretty wonderful. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They trusted themselves that they were righteous and they despised, looked down upon others. But the, the Christian teacher cannot boast in himself. We cannot, the Christian does not boast in himself, but instead the Christian says, even as the Lord Jesus says, even as the Apostle says, that he cannot glory in anything, that it never be that I may glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid, he says, Galatians 6.14, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. All our glory is in the cross, not in what we have done, not in anything. It's notable, if you uh, 
read the little extract from Campbell Morgan I put in the bulletin on Sunday. Uh, Campbell Morgan says that Luke, reporting on the apostolic mission, he tells us not numbers who were converted, not statistics, but he tells us that it left people thinking and talking about the Lord Jesus And that's the point. It's all about him. But false teachers make it all about themselves. But the grace of God excludes boasting. Where is boasting? The apostle asks. Where is boasting? It is excluded. Romans chapter 3 verse 27. Where is boasting? Then it is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. The fact that we are saved by grace. That we are saved we, simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Means that we can't boast in anything. We can't say of, any in our, of anything in our salvation. Well this is mine. I have done it. So that the Apostle said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. His workmanship. And therefore... Let him who glories glory in the Lord. So, false teachers, secondly, are motivated by self. Their rule of life is their own desire, their own lusts, and they boast. They boast. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, glorifies himself in his writings. Literally, he inserted himself into the Bible. I have, among my fairly extensive collection of very dodgy books, a copy of what Joseph Smith referred to blasphemously as the inspired version of the Scriptures, which is a King James Bible with his additions. And among other things, he inserts into the book of Genesis a great big prophecy predicting himself. What do you make of such a man? It's the mark of a false teacher. He exalts himself. But the the true teacher is indeed like John the Baptist who said, He must increase, Jesus Christ must increase, and I must decrease. Like George Whitfield, the preacher who said... Let the name of Whitfield perish if Christ will be glorified thereby. It's all about Jesus. And yet for the false teacher, it's all about himself. And again we see, we go back to Joseph Smith. His lusts motivated many of the things that he did. He, like many false teachers, claimed to be in receipt of a revelation from God, saying that he must take multiple wives. And he even gave one of his pretended revelations to his wife, saying that if she did not consent, God would destroy her. She had the last laugh. He was the one who was killed, and she survived. But... He was motivated in creating these things by his own lusts. He goes, 
if you look at Mormonism, Mormon doctrine, he goes from the Book of Mormon is this idea that there's only one person of God who reveals himself wearing different masks, if you will, so that the, the Lamb of God is the Eternal Father, to a point by the end of his life when he's teaching that human beings, be, or men, and I mean men in the masculine, that, that men become gods. And for women to be saved, they have to, to be married to Mormon men. Why? Because he's glorifying himself. He's setting it up so that when he dies, his followers will regard him as having been elevated to godhood. And some of them do. If you go and look at, look at a Mormon hymn book today, you'll find that there's a hymn, book, a hymn in their book that begins, Praise to the man who communed with Jehovah. They sing hymns to Joseph Smith. False teachers glorify themselves. And the methods that they use to draw away followers after themselves are flattering people to gain advantage. The Bible says an awful lot against flattery. Flattery involves quite simply telling people how wonderful they are, telling them what you know they want to hear in order to gain an advantage over them, in order to gain them to your side so that they will in turn glorify you. The Apostle warns Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, reading from verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Having itching ears, they want people who will scratch their ears and make them feel good about themselves. The natural man wants to be made to feel good about himself. And the false teacher knows this. And so the false teacher flatters people and says... Well, you are someone special. The Gnostics, when they sized up somebody, they'd say, well, I I perceive that you are somebody who is spiritual. That you are somebody who is not like everybody else. You're a special person. False teachers will always tell people, you're special. You're not like other people. You're not as other men are. And they will say, well, this is, you are a special being, different from everybody else, better than everybody else, and so on and so forth. Not so the Bible. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and concludes all under sin, and says that all need to be saved. There was a sect in the 17th century called the Muggletonians. They sort of struggled on into the 20th, but the, the, their founder claimed to have the ability to recognize God's elect. And so again, he could go to people and say, well, I can tell that you are a special person that God has determined 
to give you a special destiny, and so on. And false teachers do this, they flatter with their mouths, they tell people what they want to hear, they tell people that they are special and wonderful. And it is a type of lying, it's a type of deception. We find in the the Proverbs several times God condemns in no uncertain terms those who flatter with their lips, those who go to people and say how wonderful you are, those who flatter. So Proverbs 20 and verse 19, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, you don't associate with one who flatters with his lips. So there we have these sins of the mouth. The flatterer goes about, and his aim, of course, is never good. His aim is always to gain advantage for himself. It's never, never to help the one he flatters. And so... Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin, and flattery is a species of lying. And again, Proverbs 29 and verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. He's a deceiver who wishes to ultimately destroy that person but God's servants on the other hand never never flatter or deceive God's servants tell it like it is which is a great deal better than telling it like it isn't but flatterers always tell it the way that it is not flatterers always are are saying well how can I worm my way into this person's confidence. But the Apostle Paul describes himself differently. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Reading from verse 3, he says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either for you, either from you or from others, or we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So there is no flattery. There is no cajoling either. There is honesty, gentleness, and decency, not to gain an advantage for self, but to glorify the Lord. And so here he lays out this character of a false teacher. A false teacher is a grumbler. He speaks against what God has taught. A false teacher is self-centered. He feeds his own desires and talks about himself all the time. And a false teacher is a flatterer and a deceiver who feeds other people's egos, that he may make merchandise of them. And so, we can see the other way around. A true teacher, on the other hand, speaks what God has spoken. A true teacher doesn't talk about 
themselves, but about Christ. A true teacher speaks the word in season and out of season, and is faithful to what God has said, seeking to glorify the Lord. Let us then listen to the Lord himself, and may he keep us from false teachers, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be listening to the second sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley as he's working his way through the Epistle of Jude. In the meantime, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. We come back. Uh, lesson number two from Pastor Charmley, titled The Apostolic Warning. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Can I help you? Yes. Do you have a copy of 30 Days in the Desert to Learn Your Purpose and to Cast the Vision to the Ignorant Masses by S. Furtick, QWZ? Uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind. Never mind. How about 101 Ways to Build a Mega Church and Make Big Bucks? I? Well, some American gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment. I believe his last name rhymes with Shin. Uh, no. Well, we haven't gotten in stock, sir. <sighs> oh, well, not to worry. Not to worry. Can you help me with the screw tape letters? Ah, yes. C.S. Lewis. No. I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I think you'll find C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's. Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity. It's more thorough than Lewis's. More thorough? Yes, I, I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letterses. No, sir, all of our screw tape letterses have one C. Are you sh- quite sure? Quite. Mm, not worth just looking. Definitely not. <sighs> all right, how about the great divorce? Yes, well, we have that. That's G-R-A-T-E, divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. Actually, he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P-R-O-A-B-L-U-M. No. The Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes. I I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes! 
You mean Paralandra? No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian, and perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Lewis, or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples' Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent but Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four eyes and a silent Q. What a pity, that's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I, I did. They sent me here. Did they? I, I wonder. Oh, do go on, please. Yes, I, I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles. Volume 8. No, don't have that. Funny. Got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here. Thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. But, 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 Sorry, it's one o'clock. We're closing for lunch. I, I saw it. I saw it. What? What? I, I saw it over there. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes. B-O-D-I-E-S. Yes. M-A-Y-E-R. Yes. Yes, well, we do have that, as a matter of fact. The expurgative version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated version. The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The, the one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. Uh, the Presbyterians, right. Presbyterians. There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists. Ah, uh, yeah, they are. There you are. No Lutherans, no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. <laughs> I-, I wonder if you have... Um... No, go on. Ask me anything. We've got lots of books here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel According to Rob Bell. No, no, no. Try me again. Uh, I know. Uh, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, what, what? what? Yeah, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz is two natures. Yes! We got it! I see it somewhere! Yes! I found it here! Got it! Yes! Here we are! Martin Chemnitz's Two Natures in Christ! There's your book! Now buy it! I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit! I, I don't have any money! I'll take a check! I, I don't have a checkbook! I got a blank one! I don't have a bank account! Right! I'll buy it for you! There we are! There's change! There's some money for a taxi on the wait, way home! There's wait! Your wait! 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 What? 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 I can't read! You can't! Read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit, sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis, there follows from this a communion of attributes. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. 
To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor sounds like one of the false teachers that Jude is warning us about. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Uh, when you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a patron button and of course if you'd like to support us the traditional way then make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it all right here is uh the next uh the second lesson uh, from pastor gervais charmley as he's working his way through the epistle of jude verses 17 through 19 and the name of it is the apostolic warning here we go our scripture reading this evening is found in the epistle of jude the epistle of jude jude was the half brother of jesus That is, he was the son of Joseph and Mary. It seems that he only came to faith after the resurrection. 
and he writes as one who is a, a leader in the church, one who is concerned about false teachers. So the epistle of Jude. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots." Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, 
hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Now we have come, as we look at this epistle, to verse 17. Jude has a very literate audience, we've noted. His readers know their Bibles very, very well, so that in verse 11, Jude can just say, Cain, Balaam, Korah, and they know who he's talking about. He can refer to Sodom and Gomorrah, he can refer to the exodus from Egypt, and his readers know what these all mean. They are a great example to us then of biblical literacy. They know their Bibles, but also they have knowledge of other things, other books, other traditions, they know about this tradition in verse 9 about Michael the archangel contending, disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. They know this book of Enoch that's referred to in verses 14 and 15. But also they know the words of the apostles. Verse 17, you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they know the words of the apostles because the apostles are the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word apostle of course simply means one who is sent out, one who is an emissary, one who is a representative So that in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10, verse 16, words that we we looked at on part of the reading on Sunday morning, Jesus says to his disciples, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The apostles are those who are sent out. They are those who are Jesus' recognized emissaries. They are those who are his representatives. And this is, of course, extremely important. That they are his messengers. So we find Luke chapter 6 Verse 13, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, emissaries, ambassadors. And the apostles make up a special class. They are absolutely unique in the history of the church. There is this one group, the apostles, and they are foundational They are those who the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. He says this, he says that 
reading from verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, when you build a house, you lay the foundations, and then you build on top of the foundations. They've been building, they're still building those new houses at the top of Waterloo Road and it's fascinating because I have to go up that way on the way to and from the manse so I go past there quite often and it's fascinating watching the progress going from laying the foundations and of course the foundations now are invisible they're underground well there's a sense in which we can say that of the apostles today they are underground they are all dead Because it's a foundational office. And it would seem from these words of Jude in verse 17 that Jude is writing, this is one of the the later books of the New Testament. It's written when the apostles are passing from the scene. Hence, remember what they said. Remember what they taught. The apostles are the apostles of Jesus Christ. They bring his message. So that, just to give one example, the apostle Paul, in Jesus himself, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, he says that he is Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's An office that is given by God. Jesus Christ called out those twelve and called them his apostles. And they are the messengers who have written in the Holy Scriptures those things now that are needful. The New Testament is apostolic. It is the only record we have of the apostolic teaching, the apostolic preaching. And so the words of the apostles are the words of the New Testament. And Jude says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what are those words? Jude doesn't give us a quotation. He gives us a summary. Remember that the old the In the Bible, we don't have quotation marks in in the English sense that you've got somebody who records this is exactly what was said, but that you have very often summaries. And this is a summary of what many, not just one, of the apostles, what the apostles, plural, have said. They told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. That's the the summary of this apostolic warning. That there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Now when we hear the phrase the last time... We may think that this is talking about the end... Now, the time just before Christ comes back. But that's not how the phrase is used in 
the New Testament. Rather, the idea is the last time, and the last time is that period between the ascension and Christ's coming again. So that whole period, that period that we are in, that Jude's readers were in, that is the last time. So that Jude's brother, James, puts it like this. James chapter 5 and verse 3. Be careful, my Bible's a misprint in the headings of James. But James 5 chapter 3. This is James denouncing the rich. He says, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have, present tense, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. You have, in the past. So that the last days are the period in which James's readers are living. The period in which Jude's readers... Now, James is probably one of the earlier books in the New Testament. <coughs> Jude is one of the later. And yet these two brothers agree. We live in the last days, the last times. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.20 that of the Lord Jesus Christ, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. So the last times are this period, this present era however long it lasts. Because the idea is that, well, just as in our calendar, we chop history in half with the Lord Jesus, we've got B.C., A.D. So, in the Bible, there is this thought that Christ's coming changes everything. That we are now in the last times, the period between his first coming and his second coming. And we could multiply examples where this phraseology is used. So this is the here and the now. And these warnings are found in the apostles, not just one apostle, but several. So that we have in the second epistle of Peter, second Peter Chapter 3 and verse 3. It would help us in 2 Peter, not 1 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first. Well, actually, read from verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For for this they willfully forget. That by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. 
So here we have the Apostle Peter saying there will come scoffers who deny the second coming, deny that Christ is coming back, and they say, well, everything as it was, so it will continue. Well, there's a, a name for that in modern science. It's uniformitarianism. And it's this idea that the way things are now is the way things always were. That, except it's not, because uniformitarianism involves denying that catastrophes really play very much of a part at all in the history of the world. And so, and this is the, the foundation of much of modern unbelieving science. I remember when I was studying environmental science at Chester, and it's coming up 20 years since I started that degree, because I started in um, 98, and we had it drummed into us, the present is the key to the past. And that is what is fundamental to modern, unbelieving, atheistic science. That the way things happen now is the way things always have happened. But it's not a modern thing. It's a phenomenon that's always gone on, that people have always said, well, the way things are, things are just going to keep on that way. So there is the one example, the example of the scoffers predicted by the Apostle Peter. But then we find that the Apostle Paul said many of the same things, said very similar things, when he wrote to Timothy. The two epistles to Timothy are probably the last epistles that Paul ever wrote. He writes them when he is pretty much under sentence of death. Life His life doesn't have very much longer to go on earth. He is ready to be offered up, as he puts it. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 from verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth and so he says here that in the latter times that in latter times there will be false teachers and then we find in second timothy second timothy Chapter 3, again reading from verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive, or captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, he predicts, he, he tells us, the Holy Spirit has said, there will be such, and they are already 
manifest they are already apparent. And of course he had previously said very similar words in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And these are his Paul's words to the Ephesian elders, reading from verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Incidentally, this is one of those places that points out the the deity of Christ. The church of God which he purchased with his own blood. It's only because of the incarnation that that can be said. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So the apostles gave this warning that there would be false teachers who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And they are described as mockers or scoffers, I think is the the King James translation. It's the, the same idea. And this is an Old Testament idea. It's an Old Testament term, the mocker, the scoffer. We encounter... The concept in the first psalm. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The scornful are those who mock at the word of God. And so the opposite of that is the believer, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. The scoffer mocks the word of God. The believer delights in the word of God. The scoffer says, I've got something better. The believer says, but there isn't anything better. There is no greater thing than the the very word of the living God. Again, the mocker, the scoffers, those are the ones who attack the people of God. So Psalm 35, Psalm 35, David is here writing out of adversity, and he says, Psalm 35, 15, in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered together, Attackers gathered against me and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease with ungodly mockers at feasts. They gnashed at me with their teeth. They are those who set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. David, of course, is the Lord's anointed. He is a type of Christ. The mockers set themselves against Christ even when they have his name on their lips yet they are used they are taking his name in vain we find them also in the proverbs the proverbs give us so much about the 
the people of God so much. And there are these characters in the Proverbs who appear, including the mocker, the one who mocks, who mocks God. Those who set themselves against him. So Proverbs 19, Proverbs 19, 22, what is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar or a mocker. The liar, the mocker speaks that which is untrue. Again, Proverbs 19, 29, judgments are prepared for scoffers. They are those who bring down the judgment of God upon themselves. And they walk according to their own ungodly lusts. What governs their life is their desires. They are those who look to be rich. They are those who say, what can we do to make money? Just before we started speaking we were talking about a certain Jimmy Swaggart in the United States. And Jimmy Swaggart, on one occasion, one of these American televangelists, claimed that God had said that he would kill him if his followers didn't cough up a large amount of money. And, and of course, the followers proceeded to cough up a lot of money for Jimmy Swaggart. Ungodly lust for money. Ungodly lusts for popularity. It's amazing, there's a, some years ago, there was a scandal involving a, an evangelical author who, not long afterward, was removed from his pastoral position for basically becoming a tyrant, who had, it turned out, paid money to get himself on the New York Times bestseller list. He had bought his way onto the list. Uh, they, they set these things, I call these bestsellers are supposed to be a record of what is it people are reading. But you, there are companies out there that if you pay them a fat sum of money, they will make sure that people buy your book in sufficient numbers to get it into the bestseller list. And that's what this man did. Because of a lust for applause and praise. And you have that even with people who are supposed to be evangelical writers. Because it's these ungodly lusts, the ungodly lusts for prayers. You've got people who will compromise on all sorts of things just to get people in the building. Because they want, they have a, an ungodly lust for numbers. An ungodly lust for people to say, oh look, they fill the church. I, I know of a case years ago of a man who had an ungodly lust for numbers of people coming forward and professing conversion. And I know about this because a man I knew, he was on holiday and he went to this church and because he'd heard that every service somebody got converted, at least one person, he thought, this is wonderful, this man must have the most wonderful ministry. And instead... He got this rather insipid sermon. I thought, well, everyone's got a, has a bad day once in a while. And at the end of the sermon, the minister said, nobody's going home until someone's come forward. And of course, of course, someone came forward every week because the, the congregation wanted to go home at a reasonable hour. <laughs> so, 
again, it's this ungodly lust for numbers, ungodly lusts come in all kinds of categories, for all kinds of things. But there's an encouragement in the words of the Apostle. Because it means when we see these words being fulfilled, we go, God knew, God knows, God told us about this beforehand. That means that God is working through this, and that means that God is in control, that God is at work. So there's an encouragement even when we see these negative, if you will, predictions being fulfilled, this word of the apostles being fulfilled. And then then Jude tells us, what are these people like? What do these people look like? Well, first of all, we're told that they are driven by their ungodly lusts. But then we're told, verse 19, we're told they cause divisions. What do they do? They cause divisions. They are divisive. They draw away the disciples after themselves, as Paul says in Acts 20, verse 30. They divide Now, sometimes it is necessary for there to be division. Because it is necessary sometimes for God's people to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. But what causes that division isn't God's people standing on the word of God. It's other people departing from the word of God. Divisions are, in a sense... Necessary. But at the same time, those who cause them are to be avoided. So, Romans 16, verse 17, the Apostle says, For I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly... And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Those who cause divisions are those who introduce teaching that is contrary to the word of God. Uh, When my brother, my twin brother was at university, his first year went to a very big evangelical Anglican church. And there was a man in that church who was known at the end of the services, he'd go round the, the, the bookstore coffee area at the back, and he'd look for people who he thought he could win over to his strange ideas. And you'll find them all over the place, people with these odd ideas and what they want to do, they want to win other people over, they cause division by bringing in teaching that is contrary to the word of God. There are people who, they love that which is new, that which is unusual, but they are not interested in the word of God. They're not spiritual people, so that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? These divisions that are caused by people bringing in novel ideas, strange ideas. People like, to give, just give one example, Joseph Smith, the man who founded Mormonism. 
In one of his most notorious sermons he began, We have supposed that God was God from all eternity. But I will refute that notion. And that's the basis of the fact that Mormons believe that faithful Mormon men become gods. And again you see here he is, he says, we have believed, and here's something all Christians believe, the eternal nature of God. And then he says, and I'm going to refute that. And that's what those who cause divisions do. They come in, they say, ah, the Bible says, but. Or they say, well, I've got a deeper understanding of the Bible. When in fact they have no understanding of the Bible whatsoever. They divide. But then we, they are described as sensual, sensual persons. The, the Greek is sukikoi. And again, it's one of these ones where James and Jude, these two brothers, use similar language. They use this same word, James 3.15. Speaking of... Well, read from verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist... Confusion, every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so James gives us this distinction. There's those who cause divisions and they are sensual and their wisdom is demonic. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. In other words, it first says, what is the truth? It's a wisdom that won't compromise truth, won't compromise righteousness, won't compromise purity. But it is peaceable. It's not interested in arguments for the sake of arguments. But only in purity, in righteousness. And the Apostle Paul uses the same same word in the Greek in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 and it's translated I think different, slightly differently in our English but the natural man or the sensual man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You notice here that what he's basically saying is these people are not converted. That's the problem, the root issue with false teachers. They're not converted. They're not Christians. They will pretend to be very spiritual people. But he says, the problem is they're not, they're not converted. They were never converted in the first place. So no wonder... They won't hang on to the truth. No wonder they go after this and that and the other thing. There's no stability to them. They were never converted in the first place. They are sensual persons not having the spirit. Just to drive it home. They're natural. They don't have the spirit. And the Apostle Paul 
explains to us very clearly and very simply what that means, not having the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. We'll read from verse Read from verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be calmly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Not having the Spirit means unconverted. Not a Christian at all. It doesn't mean that they are not good Christians. It means they are not any sort of Christian whatsoever. And that is how we are to look at false teachers. We are to see them as unbelievers. And so one of the things that we're to do for false teachers is we're to pray they'd be converted. We pray they'd be saved. Last year I listened to a very fascinating interview with a man named Costi Hinn. Now some of you will recognise the surname Hinn. And he's the the nephew of the false teacher Benny Hinn. And Costi Hinn had a good job in Benny Hinn's ministry until he was converted. And then Costi Hinn walked out in it all and said, this is ungodly, I can't be involved with it. And so there was a man involved with false teaching who walked away because he was converted. And we pray that people would be converted. We pray that they would be brought to repentance and faith. So... We treat them as we treat any unbeliever. That those who teach according, contrary to the scriptures, who go on and on, not those who are ignorant and mistaken, but those who are insistent and who refuse correction and who seek to draw away a following after themselves. We pray for them. The Lord himself can do wonderful things. Some of you may be aware of a man called Arthur W. Pink. A.W. Pink. He was a great Bible teacher. He was a man who wrote volumes and volumes. And before he was converted, he belonged to a cult called the Theosophists. And he was a teacher in the cult and was being groomed to be one of their leaders. Lived in Nottingham and he was converted and became a man mighty in the scriptures. So there is hope. And we, but we are not to listen to such. We are to listen to God's word. Jude can say, remember what the apostles said. And we say, remember what the apostles said. Know your Bible. Its words encourage us even in dark times. It, warm, it warms us. And there is great reward 
in knowing his word. Because his word is our a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our pathway. His word guides us and leads us. May God then write his word in our hearts and keep us looking unto Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.